Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. In legal terminology, a witness is a person who testifies about events or facts of which they have first-hand evidence. Today, John asks the question of believers, what if we were all witnesses? If you'll take your Bible and open it to the book of Acts chapter number one, and while you're finding Acts chapter one, I want to ask you a question. Is it possible to be in the center of God's will if you never share your faith. Now think about that for just a moment. Is it possible to be in the center of God's will if you never share your faith? And the answer to that question is no. It's not possible. Why? Because it's not possible to refuse to do something that God has told us to do and at the same time be in God's will. Think about this. God's will is His perfect plan for our life. Now, if God has told me not to do something and I'm doing something He's told me not to do, well, it's not possible at the same time to be in the center of His will. On the other hand, if God has told me to do something and for whatever reason I'm not endeavoring to do that, then I can't be in the will of God. And so sharing Christ with others brings about a double blessing. First of all, we're blessed because we're being obedient to God. And not only that, the person with whom we are sharing Christ, they're blessed because they are having an opportunity to receive Christ as their Lord and as their Savior in a personal way. Now, in Acts chapter 1, there are 26 verses in this chapter, and all of them are wonderful. But undoubtedly, the most well-known verse is verse number 8. And you're probably familiar with it. We have dealt with it in the past. But I just felt led, before we get out of Acts chapter 1, to come back and refocus on this eighth verse because it is loaded with instructions to us from the Lord Jesus. Let's look and see what it says. Acts 1 verse 8. These are the words of Jesus right before he returned to heaven. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. Most of the translations say, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that is right where you are, and in all Judea and Samaria, that's the area broadening out from Jerusalem, and to the end of the earth. And so the command of God here is that we as his people are to be his witnesses. That is, we are to share our faith with others. That's what Jesus has told us to do. And so if for whatever reason we don't do that, it's not possible for us to fully be in the center of God's will. Now, most of us, this, this word witnesses or a witness, there are enough courtroom shows on television. We, we, we have the idea of what a witness does. They, they come to the witness box and they answer questions and they share testimony. And so I want us to think this morning about some things about witnesses because I think sometimes we get a little bit confused or maybe we read this. I know I feel this way sometimes and I think I'm supposed to be a witness for Jesus. I'm supposed to tell other people how they can be saved, how their life can be changed. And sometimes we feel inadequate 
Sometimes I think, well, I'm not sure if I would know exactly what to say or what if they ask a question that I can't answer. Let me mention three things about a witness that I think are very helpful for us to know. First of all, a witness doesn't know everything. That's not the job of a witness. More than likely, in a courtroom, a witness is not as educated as the attorney's. The attorneys have been to college. The attorneys have been to law school. So more than likely, the the attorneys have more education than the witness. That might not always be true, but in most cases it would. So a witness doesn't have to know everything. More than likely, a witness is not as intelligent as the judge, certainly not in legal matters. The judge knows the, the language of the courtroom, and I can, I, you know, every time I go to jury duty, I'm reading over that stuff, and there are these Latin words, and I'm trying to know, what does this mean? And this is language that I'm not familiar with. And, but a witness doesn't, doesn't know everything, but that's not why he's there. A witness is there not because he knows everything, Not because he's the smartest person in the room. That's not the purpose of a witness. But sometimes the devil makes us think, well, you you can't share Christ with others. You're not a theologian. You don't know everything. They may ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Well, that's okay. A witness doesn't have to know everything. I'll tell you something else about a witness. A witness doesn't decide the case. Sometimes when we're sharing Christ with somebody, we want them to be saved so badly that it's almost like we want to make the decision for them. Or we feel like, well, what if I share Christ? What if I explain the way of salvation and, and they don't want to hear it? They shut me down. Or what if they say they're not interested in that? Well, that's their decision. It's not a witness's job to decide the case. That's the job of the jury. If there's no jury, that's the job of the judge. And so it takes the pressure off of us when we think, you know what? I do want to see people get saved, but... Uh, it's not my responsibility to make that decision for them. It's interesting. Almost every Sunday when we come to the end of the service, the end of the sermon, and we give the invitation, and I'm up here preaching for, for 30 minutes, and I'm looking around the room, I'm looking everybody in the eye, and m- most every week I can tell when somebody is under conviction, when God is working in their heart. And I can't always tell that, but often I can. And the invitation is given, and we say, if you've received Christ, just stand up. And sometimes I just want to come out there and take a person by the shoulders and help them stand up because I feel like that's what they need to do. But I can't do that. That's not my responsibility, and it's not yours. We don't decide the case. We just, we just share how to be saved. You say, well, now, John, wait a second. If Jesus has told us to be witnesses, and a witness doesn't know everything... Witness not the smartest person in the room. And if it's not the job of the witness to decide the case, what in the world is a witness supposed to do? Well, look at it in your bulletin. A witness simply tells what he has seen, what he has heard, what he has experienced, and what he knows to be true. That's what a witness does. A witness just tells what he has experienced and what he knows to be true. A witness for Jesus Christ doesn't have to have a high school education or a college degree, doesn't have to have attended a seminary. No, that's not his job. A witness just tells what he has experienced and what he knows to be true, which leads to this question. What does a witness know to be true? In other words, if we have truly been saved, what is it that we know to be true. Well, in the bulletin today, I want to just mention five things. And, and I want to sh- I'm going to just give you all five of these. And next week, we're going to come back and develop more of this more fully. It's just too much to do in one day. But first of all, a witness knows that his life has been changed. 
And we're going to focus just on that today in a few moments. A witness knows that his life has been changed. Number two, a witness knows how to start a spiritual conversation. And I think this is one of the things that is intimidating to us as we think about sharing Christ with a neighbor, with a family member, with a friend, with a stranger, with somebody. We think, well, I don't know how do I start that conversation? How do we go from talking about the Astros and the Texans and the weather and the politics and, and all this? How do we go from talking about just normal stuff to all of a sudden getting in a spiritual conversation? And I think that's a, that's a very good question, and I think that's the, the hardest part of being a good witness is knowing how to start that. And we're going to get into that more next week. I'll tell you something else a witness knows. A witness knows whether he is supposed to plant a seed water a seed, or reap a harvest. You know, a witness, of an effective witness for Jesus Christ is a very discerning person. And I think in all of our lives, whatever we're doing, wherever we are, we should, we should be so in touch with God's Spirit that, that we know what to do in a given moment. And I know some people who want to see people saved so badly that they say, they've, I've seen it, and, they, and, and I've even tried to do this, but they say to me, John, Every time I'm in a restaurant, I'm going to tell the waiter how to be saved. Well, I want to make sure that the Lord would be leading me to tell the waiter. How, I mean, I'm not a, that, that's not a, it's never wrong to tell somebody how to be saved, but we have to be in step with the Holy Spirit. And it may be that you're in a restaurant and the waiter's never even heard the name Jesus. The waiter's never been to church. The, the waiter knows nothing about a Bible, the, the, the Bible. The waiter's never knows nothing about Christianity. And for you to be able to, quote, tell that person how to be saved and lead that person to Christ while he's coming back and forth from your table, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying in a setting like that, it may be that God has you there not to tell that person how to be saved, but just to plant a seed. Now, it may be that God has you there to water a seed somebody else has planted, or maybe God does have you there to lead that person to Christ. But I think we have to be discerning of the Holy Spirit, and I think we have to, we have to know. I, recently, I called the, uh, I, I drive a Toyota, and I have had this Toyota for many, many years, and I take it out here to, uh, on the Gulf Freeway to the, to the Toyota dealership, and so I always call before I go out there and make an appointment for an oil change, and I did this several months ago, and and uh, they said, which day do you want to come? I told them. They said, what time of day do you want to come? And I told them, the ballpark. And I said, listen, for years, Thomas has serviced my car, and I'd like to make my appointment with Thomas. And they said, well, uh, Thomas doesn't work here anymore. I thought, oh, man, I hate to hear that. I said, well, that's okay. I said, just give me whoever. And they gave me another person's name. They said, when you get here, ask for the, I think his name was Matthew. I thought, well, I'm getting the disciples here to help me with my car. So I got there, and I asked for Matthew, and he came, and he did what he was doing. And as I was walking into the dealership to wait for them to change my oil, I just crossed paths with another guy who, worked for, who works for, for Champion Toyota. And uh, we struck up a little conversation. I said, hey, I have been working with Thomas for... 10 or 12 years on my car. And I said, I hate that he doesn't work here anymore. How long has he been gone? Did he go to work somewhere else? And the man looked at me, and he said, Thomas died. Thomas is probably five years younger than I am. And he said, Thomas died. 
And I said, well, when did he die? And he kind of gave me a general, he, he was vague. I, you know, I tried to get specifics, what happened? And he wouldn't, he did, he said, I don't know all the details about that. So I never knew if Thomas had a heart attack, if he was in an accident or what it was that happened. But I went inside and I sat down and I began to think about all the times I had been out there to have my car serviced. And I began to ask myself, did you ever, in all your dealings with Thomas, did you ever plant a seed? Did you ever water a seed? Did you ever share with him how to be saved? Did you ever do anything? And I have to confess to you today, I mean, I was always kind to Thomas. We had good conversations. But to the best of my memory, I never invited him to church. I never gave him a track. I never gave him a booklet. I never, I mean, maybe, maybe, I, did, maybe I did something more than I'm giving myself credit for. But I just thought all those times, I don't think, other than being kind, I don't think I ever did anything that would have helped Thomas to come to know Jesus in a personal way, and it convicted me. And I'm saying that today to say in a car dealership, in a restaurant, at school, at the plant, wherever we are, we may not be able to share the full how to be saved and lead that person to Christ, but we should be looking for opportunities to plant a seed, to speak the name of Jesus, to say something that would make somebody, me, have God more on their mind after their dealings with us than before we had a dealing with them. And again, maybe I'm being hard on myself, but I don't have a memory of doing anything that would have helped Thomas be saved. And that is, that, that's heavy on my heart. Another thing about a witness, a witness knows how to share the gospel in a simple, concise way. In other words, when we're telling somebody how to be saved, we do have to tell them what they need to know in order to be saved. I think some people think, well, as long as I'm kind and as long as I'm loving and as long as they see something different in me, well, listen, we should be kind living, and they should certainly see something different in us. But nobody is going to heaven just because we were kind. Now, if we're unkind, we lose our credibility, and they're not going to listen to us, so we need to be kind. But what I'm saying is there does come a point where we have to share with this other person what they need to know, the gospel which means the good news of Jesus Christ. How can we do that in a simple, concise way? We don't always have 30 minutes. We have to get that down, maybe three or four minutes, and just say it. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. That's the gospel. There's only one gospel. I had an opportunity last Monday afternoon. The 2.30 appointment was with a 10-year-old girl she has recently asked Jesus to come into her heart, and her parents brought her to my office, and they said, we want, John, we want to make sure that she understands her decision. We want to make sure she understands baptism. And so I went right through how to share the gospel in a, in a very simple and concise way, and she understood it perfectly. My next meeting was with a 59-year-old man who, to my knowledge, has never even been in a Baptist church, but he was deep under conviction. And one of his co-workers has been witnessing to him, and he made an appointment and brought him to me, and we sat down to start talking, and, I, and I entered, we had a little, how are you doing, what's your name, what's my name, we got all that out of the way. And then he said to me, he said, look, I want to just get right to it. Something is missing in my life. He just said it like that. I mean, he just opened the door for me to walk right through. He, he said, something has, is missing in my life. Can you tell me what I need to do? You should never ask a preacher, can you tell me what I need? 
I mean, that just opened the door, man. I bam, right through. I just drove the truck right down that lane. Well, but you know, when that meeting got over, and by the way, at the end of that meeting, that man's name is Mark. Mark prayed and asked Jesus to get in, come into his heart and be saved. One of the most genuine things I've ever seen in all my life. But when I got finished with both of those meetings, I thought, you know, I had a 10-year-old girl and a 59-year-old man. 10-year-old girl is sweet and innocent, as pure as anybody I've ever met from a wonderful family. A 59-year-old man is kind and genuine, as honest as anybody I've ever met. But no, I'm not saying he has no church background, but he's not ever been in a, in like in a church like, quite like ours or anything. And, and, and I thought, but you know, in both of those meetings, I said the same thing. I said the exact same thing. Now, I gave some different illustrations for a 10-year-old girl and a 59-year-old man. But as far as the gospel, folks, the thing I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a one-size-fits-all gospel. It's not different for a 10-year-old and a 50 It's the same. Now, you might illustrate it differently, but it's exactly the same. There's just one gospel. And a witness knows how to share that in a simple, concise way, in an understandable way. And then a witness knows how to draw the net. Now, most of the people who go fishing today, they don't fish with nets. They fish with hooks. But if you were in Israel in Bible times, you, you fish with a net. And you would put that net in the water. And, and that net goes deep. And you catch these fish. And you've got all these fish in the net. But in order for those fish to get in the boat, what do you have to do? You have to draw the net and bring those fish in. And that's how it is in the, in the sharing of the gospel. You see, if we're not drawing the net at the end then we're not giving a gospel presentation. We're just having a gospel conversation. We're just talking about, but if we're not, that's what sometimes people say, now, why do y'all give an invitation at First Baptist? And I think, well, how could you not give an invitation? To preach a sermon and not give an invitation would be like going to the restaurant, studying the menu, and then the waiter say, thank you for coming. Have a good day. If I study the menu, I want to order something off that menu, Right? I mean, I've studied it. Here's my, my, my choices. I order this. Well, the gospel is the same way. A person comes to church. These 185 people have been saved. What do they do? They saw the menu. They heard the gospel in a, hopefully a simple, concise, and understandable way. But at the end, they were given an opportunity to order. They were given an opportunity to say, yes, that's what I want. And the net has to be drawn, and the net has to be pulled in. And we have to know how to draw the net. Now, again... It's not our responsibility to make the decision. That's their responsibility. But we have to know how to put it out there for them and give them an opportunity and, in essence, say to them, do you understand what I've just said about how to be saved? Yes, I understand that. Would you like to give your life to Jesus Christ right now? You see, in the drawing of the net, what are we doing? We are explaining sin. We're explaining repentance. We're explaining faith, all that. But there comes a point where it has to be more confrontational, and we have to say to that person, would you like to make a decision right now to receive Christ and be saved? You have, to, you have to put them in that spot. You have to give them that question, and then they have the decision to say yes or no. And they need to know whether they have said yes or no. So a witness knows all those things. But this morning, I want us just to go back to the first of those because I think this is the beginning point. I know this is the beginning point. A witness knows that his life has been changed. An effective witness knows that his life has been changed. And it's that change, that interchange, that compels that man, that compels that woman, that compels that young person to do what? To share his faith with others. You see, if your life has been changed, 
That is, if God is really in you, and if God has changed you, and if God is changing you, none of us have been perfectly changed. We're works in progress. We still sin more than we should. But we're works in progress, and God is changing us. And we know that we've been changed. Then out of that, there's going to be an enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm means God in you. Well, if God's in you, you know, it's going to be obvious to others and that, that there's been some kind of a change in your life. The old hymn we used to sing, What a wonderful change in my heart has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. So we should, we should have that change. I was thinking last night about the blind man in John chapter 9, a man born blind. And Jesus told him to go to the pool of Bethesda and wash, wash his eyes, and he would be able to see. And that man went, or the pool of Siloam, and that man went, and he washed his eyes, and he could see. And after he could see, the religious leaders were interrogating him and questioning him because the religious leaders hated Jesus. And they said to that man, who is this man who healed you? And the blind man, now who can see he said, I don't know that man's name. I'm not sure who he is. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. You see, to be a witness, you don't have to be able to explain all of Ezekiel's visions. <laughs> you don't have to be able to explain the minor prophets or the major prophets or some of the theology that Paul developed. Or No, to be a witness, you just have to say, you know, I don't understand all that. I don't get all that. I don't know who, I don't know all the, the kings and all that. But one thing I do know, once I was lost and now I am found. Once I was unsaved, now I'm saved. My life has been changed. I was blind and now I see. I don't, I don't know everything, but I do know that something has happened on the inside of me. And I'm afraid that the reason some of us are not more effective witnesses than we are is because our lives have not really been changed. And if our lives have not been changed, we're not going to have a compassion or a passion to go tell other people how their lives have been changed. Or some people, I think the reason some people, and I understand this, are not effective witnesses is because they really don't know for sure that they're saved. They don't have that assurance. And so it, 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 it hampers their, the effectiveness of their witness. I mean, what, what is a person like that going to say? Hey, come follow me. I have no idea where I'm going. Well, no, we need to have an idea where we're going. We need to know that there's been a change on the inside of our lives. Listen to this, an internal change that leads to an external change. The old song we sing when we were kids, if you're happy and you know it, then your face should surely show it. Well, that's true, but you can take it one step farther than that. If Jesus has changed your life, not only should your face show it, everything about your life should show it. That there's something different. Again, we're works in progress, but there's been a change. I don't know about you this morning, but when I woke up this morning, I was getting ready. I have an alarm clock in the other room that makes me get up and get out of my bed and turn it off when it comes up. Because if not, I just lay there and hit snooze, 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 snooze. I just make myself get up. And one of the songs that they were playing on the radio today was one of my favorite hymns, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And before they even got to that song, they were playing some other song, and I was still in bed, and I was listening to those songs. I was trying to get awake and orient myself to the day. And I, just, I, just, I was just in bed this morning, and I said, God, I just thank you today. 
on a Sunday morning. There are a lot of things I could be doing, a lot of places I could be going. I thank you today that by your grace, I'm going to the First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and that you have given me the opportunity to preach the gospel. I'd rather be here today than at the beach or at the ball game or the movie or even at home. I'd rather be here doing this than anything in the whole world. I'm just thank God, thank you for the opportunity. God, we just live the most blessed life, and I thank you for this privilege, and I'm just kind of in that spirit this morning. A few minutes later, I finally got up. I thought, I can't just sit here and, and thank God all day. I got to get to work, you know. And, and, and then the song changed on the radio. And they started singing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And when that song was playing, this was just in my heart this morning. I said, God, as glad as I am to be preaching today, there's something I'm more glad. I, I am more glad today that I have blessed assurance in my heart than I am that I'm preaching this morning. I'd rather not be preaching and have blessed assurance than to be preaching and not have blessed assurance. But to have blessed assurance and still be preaching, I say, God, it can't get any better than this. And I'm saying to you today, if you're saved today, you may not have heard that song on the radio, but there ought to be something in your heart that says, thank God I'm saved and I know that I'm saved. Thank God my sins are forgiven. Thank God heaven is my home. Thank God I don't have to worry about dying. Thank God I know for sure that Jesus Christ is living on the inside of my heart. If you would like to find out how you can have the assurance of your salvation, please send an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by going to our website, peacebybelieving.org and look for the Find Peace tab. Thank you for joining us today and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond as he concludes his message, What If We Were All Witnesses?